Hello, and welcome to Hallways. We are excited to talk to artists from all over the world through conversation and live performance. We will bring you the voices and artists that inspire and continue to inspire generations of artists, musicians, and their fans. Before we begin, all of us at the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame certainly hope everyone is staying safe and healthy in this difficult time. Please watch out for each other, wash your hands, of course, and when the smoke clears and we can all gather together again, visit the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame in Boston, Massachusetts. You can learn more about Farhoff at folkamericanarootshalloffame.org. It's difficult to know where to start when talking about our next great artist, and it wasn't a surprise to Hallways when Joe Spaulding asked Kevin Roosevelt Moore, also known as Keb Moe, to be an honorary chair at the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame. Over 25 years, Keb Moe has collected five Grammy Awards for his Blues Meets Americana signature sound. If you haven't had the pleasure to hear his work, just picture a musical cross between the legendary blues of Robert Johnson and the infectious groove of Jack Johnson. Keb Moe will connect with you at his shows and even on film. He's collaborated with some of the most talented and respected artists and directors of our time. And when President Obama invites you to perform at a celebration of American creativity at the White House, along with the likes of Buddy Guy, James Taylor, Usher, Carol Burnett and Esperanza Spaulding, you're in pretty good company. We sat with Mr. Moore at Berkeley College of Music and talked about putting musicians into musical buckets, collaborative writing, and how women need to be in charge. Please make that happen. We look forward to having our honorary chair, Grammy-winning Blues Americana guest Keb Moe, join us someday at the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame at the Box Center in Boston, and we hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Okay, let's get going. You want to talk on the mic? Yeah, yeah. So please, uh, Mr. Moore, we have uh, Mr. Kevin Moore here. Kev Moore. I, I just met Kevin Moore Jr. That was uh, a pleasure. Yeah, he's, he's an artist. His name is Kay Roosevelt. Kay Roosevelt. This, yeah. That's how he goes. Bye. That's his. That's his handle. I like it. He, he's a drummer. No, he's a really good drummer, but he's a singer-songwriter. He's a singer-songwriter, but he happens and to be in, a good in, drummer. In the more like hip-hop urban world, like that. But he's he's kind of a badass dude. He's very quiet. And he'll never tell you. Well, those are, those are usually the, the, the most talented, <laughs> the ones who don't tell you. And I talked him into coming playing drums. I said, good "Can, you, can you. you brush off your chops a little bit and come play drums with me?" Okay. <laughs> does he has, does he play with you a lot? No. Is this? I'm trying. I always ask him to come play some gigs. He's like, oh, I got this. I'm working on this other thing. I got. Uh, well, that's very yeah. special. Yeah. I mean, you know, my 14 year old has the same expression. Yeah. But he's he doesn't play music though. He's a basketball guy <laughs> and a and a pitcher. So I always have this. I'm I'm a, I'm a pretty bad athlete. Yeah. But like I have this image of us like actually playing together, yeah. And I th- we'll th- we'll throw a pass yeah. and everything. But there's there's something about that connection yeah. that I don't have to tell you. Yeah. How is that with playing with your well, son? Well, Phil Collins does that too with his son. That's true. The drummer, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like butter. It's just like he reads my mind. Huh. You guys uh, play together in the house or like 
you have jammed together before, like a lot before this? Not as much as you think we would have. Yeah. He just knows yeah. things. You said he reads your mind. Yeah. Take me to that moment on stage. It's just he knows just knows what to do. He's a very intuitive musician. When we went out on the road with Taj Mahal and myself, two of Taj's daughters singing background, and their voices sounded completely different. But when they sung together, it was like magical because they got the the blood sound. The blood sound. <laughs> you the know? butter. The butter blood sound. It's the blood. It's 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 the blood sound. Kind of like something. It's, it's the something you just can't put your finger on. You know why? Why do they? Like that. I think it's it. fascinating because when you see people that may look look like each other or sound like each other mm-hmm. talking, it makes sense that if they would harmonize. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, so, that's it. <laughs> are we done here? No, no, no. <laughs> that a wrap? <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about uh, hallways and uh, and roots music and a little bit about why we're here today with uh, Mr. Kev Mo. The one of the uh, you know in, in in looking up some information of you, I, I first heard of you. Uh, I was telling Ron her, Ron here the other day. Um, my my Secret Santa boss years ago, back in nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe. He, said, <laughs> he gave me he gave me two CDs. He gave me Steve Earle and he gave me a Kebmo album. And that's the first that's the first time um, I saw you. And he's like, you've got to check this guy out. He's he's amazing. And um, I don't know where that was in your career, but I mean, obviously you, you've done I don't a lot. Know either. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, but it's a great album. But you know, one of the things that kind of surprised me, and I guess not now that we've been doing this for a while, it doesn't surprise me anymore, is that you won you won an award for Americana Album of the Year. Is that correct? Is it an American Americana album? I was nominated in the Americana category for an album, and I'm nominated this year for an Americana. Oh, congratulations! Um, so does that moniker does that name feel like do you feel like you fit into americana is that like a word that you use to describe your music at all to me in a world where everything is split and divine divided into categories yeah you know there's a lot of uh, gray area between a lot of categories is this that or is it that right you know but when you take all the things that are rooted in american music you know or some form thereof and you don't know what it is, but you know it fits. Yeah. It's Americana. People like to put things into buckets. Yeah. So like it makes it I don't e- know. What bucket e- do I put in? So then they don't have a bucket to put in. They put it on, in its own pile. So we, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. And, and if you're a musician and you get put in a pile, you know, it's, it's harder for, to con- connect with the, the greater population. Like my first record. Uh, wasn't a whole blues record, but they put me in the blues category, and I just went with it uh. because better to have a category than no category at all. Right, <laughs> that's well said. So it's, it's an address where people can actually find you, yeah, and then they can go either go like, oh, that's not blues, and go like, that's not blues, but I like it, or what's that doing there, or whatever. But they found it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. I think mm-hmm. it, it, it seems to bother some musicians that we've talked to. Like, well, no, we're not this, we're not that, we're not. But in, in the end, I think it kind of, it helps yeah. pedestrians like us to just figure say, out who just you Just say are. you're something. Yeah, yeah. You have to be what it is. <laughs> yeah, because then they, then, I don't know, you can kind of follow. I like people say, like, my name is, my name is John, but that's not my real spiritual name. <laughs> just go with John. you got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of, like, you can't just say classical music. Yeah, no. What the hell does that mean? 
There's like there's like is eighteen foreign. Which what, what era is it from? Right. What is it? <laughs> yeah. What what century? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> is it like a quartet? Is it a symphony? You know. Um, is it a chamber orchestra? Is it a right? Full so it's, is it a brass ensemble? Is it a well? I think Americana is is interesting because mostly because of the name America is in it. Yeah. Uh, to me, I don't think of music when I hear the word Americana. I actually think of the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, that's a kind of a weird thing. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's a cool thing, I think, because it's yeah. like we all, we all contributed to this music over many years. I think it's great. I think it's just a great um, category that just kind of glues everything together. So, like, I mean, mm-hmm. like with last year with um, um, Brandy Carlisle, mm-hmm. his big breakout year, he was an amazing artist, you know, that yep. previously... Well, what is Brandy Carlisle? Well, is she country? Is she pop? Is she what is she? Is she like women's rock? Is she what? What is she? And because yeah. of Americana, she has this platform now where she can rec- be recognized for her true gift and her and her, her all the splendor that she is. Mm. So we we were we were coming down here before speaking of America. We you know uh, uh, met your wonderful wife and we mm-hmm. were um, talking about Beth Nielsen Chapman and your your collaboration mm-hmm. on that incredible song, "Put a Woman in Charge." Put a woman in charge. Yeah. I was at a bar mitzvah this morning, of all things. Okay, morning bar mitzvah. A morning bat mitzvah. Bat bat mitzvah. Yeah, it's girl. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a yeah. She was talking about women's rights and talking about some Torah portion about women, and we were talking about 2020 is coming up, where women are gonna a hundred years since women can vote. Hundred years is a long time, but it's also not a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to see your perspective as someone that was. Maybe still connected, you know, with that effort. But that was a powerful video that I saw, that you and your you and your wife made together, and uh, and Beth Nielsen Chapman. Well, that was an amazing project. It kind of like grew out of a writing session for the um, the album Oklahoma that Reese was put out this year. But it was before we knew the album was going to be Oklahoma, and before we even knew it was going to be an album. So out of this writing session came. Um, the song Woman in Charge and before we were finished with it and I wrote it with a friend of mine John Lewis Parker one of my main writing partners Mm -hmm. and we I said John we can't do this he said I know we gotta get a woman in here (laughs) (laughs) so get the Rolodex out got on the phone (laughs) I I didn't need the Rolodex I knew the call Beth what you doing I just happened to not be doing anything, which is rare. <laughs> and she came right over and jumped in, and we got it done. And it became like, well, we have to put this out now. It wasn't like, you know, let's we'll, we'll wait till the now. Let's just go. So we put it out as a single. Yeah. And um, it was just really a great event huh. for that record. It's, it's really got a great beat. You know, it's that. That's what Dick Clark would say. Yeah. Well, it's got a good beat. You can, yeah. you can dance to it. <laughs> and the, the hook and the whole message. Anyway, it's great. So, And who was in charge of that session? In charge of that session? All of you were in charge together? We were just right. It was a collaboration, collaboration on the writing yeah. session. And on the, on the uh, recording of it and the production of it, John and I shared the production uh, responsibilities. Yeah. Whereas I was on my way out to go to the road. So I had a, a basic... Uh, track with just a vocal on it and he kept the thing going. I said we'd pass it around and yeah. he kept putting things on it and doing things to it and 
But the spirit of that song is, if, if I was a bigger artist, you know, that would have been a huge hit. I mean, in a big category, because to get to have a huge hit, you have to be in a big category. Blues. Back to Ameri categories. Yeah, right? blues and category. Blues in America is not a big category. Huh. Had I been like Katy Perry, huh. or uh, even like somebody in a position, because you got to be in that position. Hmm. Like you have to be up to bat, you know, right. to hit a home run. If you if you if you're in the audience and you're in the outfit, you can't hit a home run. You got to be in position with all the people around and everything going. Then you can hit a home run. But we put it out there. And, you know, and, uh, Roseanne Cash. But the message itself, up. though, and what you came up with, I think is in some ways you're ahead of the game because it, it resonates. It's timely. And we're really proud of it. We're really yeah, proud of that. Be. But we, do. We're not, we don't do this for the success and the money and the glory. Sure. We do it to, to put out something that's going to tickle the minds and the, and the hearts and the, of the people and mm. bring something forth, a subject forth that's going to make people think and make people have an opinion and have discussion and talk about it. So. So women, women, men are, we're smart. Women are just a little smarter. That's all. And they have a different kind of smart. For instance, the, just the way we're sitting in the room. Why are we sitting in this room right here yeah. instead of over there where we could have done and this feels much better? Because a woman came in the room and said, why don't you guys try it like this? Yeah. And it was a collaboration. It's not like, yeah. you know. She did everything. We wish her included in the conversation. So that, that made things better. Beth made the song better. And women in, in society, when we exclude the women, we're excluding something that's very important to our society. So you don't exclude the women because they have ideas that are very important. I wanted to talk about Nashville a little bit because, you know, one of the things that we've also talked about at the hall is that there's a there's like a triangle between Boston, Belfast, and Nashville. Mimi, you can help me. Well, I mean, I know more about the Nashville, Boston, but when we met with actually Joe, speaking of Joe Spaulding, who's in the room, uh, we talked about a connection between the three different sister cities of, of Americana, actually. You live in Nashville now, correct? Yeah. Very close to Franklin, Tennessee. Very close. Close enough. It's right there. I mean, there's, there's Franklin and there's Nashville. Yeah. Right there. Close enough. How does living near Nashville... How does that affect the way you write, the way you, you know, listen to music, the way you learn about different musicians? Is that like a big part of your of the culture of uh, of music for you? Yeah, it what Nashville did what there was exposed me to a whole different group of artists, musicians, mm -hmm. singers, whatnot. And and um, and also exposed me to the collective consciousness of that community which is different from the collective consciousness of musicians in Los Angeles there's a more there's more of a sense of hustle in Los Angeles because you have to but when I moved to Nashville 10 years ago the thing of hustling was really not um, I mean there's a hustle don't get me wrong but there was people really are more into helping each other and the collaborating mm. and uh, so 10 years later as things, money got tighter in Nashville, rent went up, Nashville became, Nashville became the it city, hmm. and now artists are being kind of like having to go, oh, this place is getting kind of expensive. Okay, we gotta. But the spirit of it didn't change. Yeah. It still got that, you know, I'll help you. you know, that, right. You and, know, and I see that a lot. I see so many musicians, especially in the Americana and blues and roots folk music, mm -hmm. So much collaboration, people yeah. being on each other's album. The collaborative 
effort there is uh, is great. I love it. I love and one it. thing, one thing about that too that also causes that is when record companies are not as involved. Mm. There's not a lot of artists without record companies, and record companies thing is. Oh, you're going to be on that album? Well, is that in your contract? We're not going to allow that. Oh, yeah. So is there a part of the music itself that breeds collaboration? Nashville, whatever was going on in Nashville, musically, is pretty good, and it was there before I got there. Right. So I can't really describe it as something that's, yeah. you know, knew how it's changed it, because I went and joined into it, as opposed to, like, being a part of hmm. something that created it. Yeah. But I can say, from that standpoint... It's really is really wonderful because it just freshened everything up hmm. for me hmm. as an artist, and I had more space to work with, to do more do more things. Um, I had a 400 square foot recording studio in L.A., you know, hmm. and now I have a about a 1500 square foot studio now. So I have three, three times the space to three work times, in, yeah. which just allows me a lot more leverage and room to work, elbow room. You know, I can park, you know, 10 cars in my driveway. Yeah. I have a green room. You were staff writer for a Records? Did you? you uh, Irving Elmo Music. Yeah. Which was, was, which was the publishing arm of A&M Records. Yeah. So I, I'm always interested in that because um, we talked to Lori McKenna on a different podcast before, yeah. and she does a lot of writing for a lot of other people. I mean, there's a lot of people who do that. Yeah. But um, I wondered, what's the experience like when you're writing for other people? And... Uh, you know, when you, did, you ever, did you ever write something and be like, ooh, I want this for myself? Or how does that dynamic work when you're writing for somebody else? Well, my experience of writing for other people was, first, I didn't start out to write for other, other people. Yeah. But when I got this writing gig, of course, they want you to write for other people. And uh, I basically failed miserably at it. I got maybe two, three cuts. Yeah. You know, one was a moderate success. I saw him hit the R&B charts at number probably 40, top 100. It became clear later that the writing experience was about the experience of writing itself hmm. and learning how to be in the studio and learning studio skills okay. and writing skills. So at the point when I realized that I wasn't good at writing for other people, and I started writing for myself. My skill had rose to a place where, like, now I can really write for myself. Ah, interesting. Writing for, your, for other people is an art that I'm not good at. Some people are really good at it. Yeah. That's, I write for, I'm a very personal person, so I write what I know. When you write for yourself, how does that connect to the performance? Well, that becomes a performance. When you're writing for yourself, you're writing about something. And you have a memory and you have a, a point of reference that every time you sing that song... Mm -hmm that thing pops up. But if you just wrote something that's fluff, that you made up, that has no no grease to it, what comes up when you sing it is no grease, no nothing. It's just fluff. So we started this conversation <laughs> talking about butter, fluff, grease, and blood. <laughs> well, you know, marsh marshmallow fluff was invented in Boston, Massachusetts. Was it? Yeah. You know marshmallow fluff? Yeah, like peanut butter and, and fluff. fluff. Fluffernutter. Yeah, yeah It's like a. I understand a lot of things. A lot of things were invented in Boston. That's true. We invented the podcast. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I know now. <laughs> Where are you going next? What's What's next for you? We're going to Terrytown, New York. Okay. Yeah. And is Is this a big tour for you right now? Are you like hitting it's all a three week that? tour? Three week tour. It's pretty big, yeah. Right. It's three weeks. Long enough. It's a long tour. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going back to Nashville, or yes. area? Nashville I'm going area. Back to Nashville. And the Christmas album. What's that called? 
The Christmas, Christmas album? The album's called Moonlight, Mistletoe, and You. We need more, we need better Christmas music. Is the so. song Christmas is Annoying on that song? On, on that, that album? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the irony there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite song on the <laughs> When are we going to write a Hanukkah song together? Come on, let's go. I thought, go I, get thought, Brandy. I, thought I thought, uh, um, who wrote Hanukkah? Who's the side? Uh, Sandler. Sam, Sandler. No, he has that market. No one will that. touch. No <laughs> one will touch one. Song, yeah. <laughs> and we wish you well. What, what's, and after the tour, you're going back, like Chuck said, and, and, uh, what's next in the, uh, in, in the, in the Kebmo plan? Well, I'm hoping to work and, um, I'm going to work with an artist named Chick Streetman when I get home in January. Mm. And then after that, I'm going to get to work on one of, the, one of the reasons I got my son out here so we can like kind of collaborate and do some things. And we're talking about a project for me, one of those uh, projects that's uh, kind of like different that people probably go like, what the hell is Kevin Moe doing now? Hmm. Projects, you know. You got to keep them guessing. No, so sometimes you got to do something for you. And, but you always do it for you. But, you know, an audience is a wonderful thing to have, you know. But they also, they kind of hold, their, energetically they hold you where, where you are. And when you do something different, you know, you run the risk of, you know, alienation, slight alienation and complaints. Because and people, people are, we're, we're creatures of habits. I mean, even me, I like, I like what I like. You know, I remember when John Mayer made a, um, I was a big fan of the Continuing album, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then when, uh, this is very good. then the Battle, Battle, Battle Studies came out. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I like Continuum. <laughs> and then I had to put it down, and about a couple of months later, I, after I, I picked it up, and I loved it. That, that kind of shift for a musician can be jarring to their fans sometimes. I mean, you know, just look at, yeah. just look at Dylan when he went electric. That's still a good reaction. of like, well, what is this? Yeah, I think it is, it's too. Still kind of, kind of like slightly what Kanye West does. Like, Get a slap in the saying, face. I like what it. What did Kanye say? I'm the greatest entertainer this yes. And he's, if he says it, he can't be wrong. If you said it, it must, must be true. It must be true. It's it sure gets people talking. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. For talking with you. Have a great show great tonight. Talking. We would like to thank Keb Mo for talking with us. You can learn more about him at kebmo.com. Please join us at the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame at the Wang Theater in Boston, Massachusetts. For tickets and to learn more, go to folkamericanarootshalloffame.org. We'd also like to thank the band Honeysuckle for the music you hear on our episodes. You can learn more about Honeysuckle at honeysuckleband.com. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Hallways via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, where you will hear future guests like The Mammals, Milk Carton Kids, and many more. This is your Hall of Fame, and the doors of the hall are always open. Hallways is created in partnership with The Box Center and Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. 